Welcome to the Life Point Louisville podcast. For more information about this podcast and for other resources, visit lifepointlou.org. Well, good morning, Life Point Louisville. Good morning. Man, it is such a joy and a privilege to be with you today. I feel like I got to step back and just look at you for a minute and take you in. I might be a stranger to you, but you are no stranger to me. Actually, we're family, whether you know it or not. Not like distant cousin, second, third cousin, twice removed family. We're like sibling family, brother, sister family. My name is Bethany Ufema, and I am on staff at LifePoint, Virginia, the LifePoint that launched pastors Jen and Sean to come plant Louisville. So my senior pastors, your global pastors, Daniel and Tammy Floyd, they send their love and their blessing to you today. I'm so grateful to them to be able to be here with you. And I left my better half, my husband Aaron, in Virginia. He is taking care of our two kids. We have a little girl, India, who's seven years old, and a son named Bear, who is four. And I'm just so honored to be asked by pastors Jen and Sean to be here bringing the word to you this morning. And they are just dear, dear friends of mine. I just want to take a minute and show them some honor. We've gotten the privilege to do ministry together for many years in Virginia, and it's been such a joy to watch the anointing on their life unfold in the planting of this church. They're such a gift to me personally. I know they're a gift to you. God has really blessed you with some incredible leaders. And one of my favorite things about them is their love for the Holy Spirit. And my second favorite thing about them is their love for people, specifically their love for you. So can we just take a minute and show them some love and some gratitude this morning? We love you guys. And while we're showing honor, can we give honor to Jesus this morning? He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise. And I'm excited to be kicking off the new year with you guys. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody. You have perfect church attendance in 2022. Keep it up. And uh, I'm excited to be also kicking off this new series from this day on. I pray that this word that I'm bringing this morning is going to really challenge us to make the most of this new year. And I actually want to make you a guarantee. And I know it's a bold thing to make a guarantee to somebody, but I think it's a promise that's safe to make. And I want to guarantee you that this will, in fact, be your best year yet. It will be your best year ever if it is your best year with Jesus. And I want to challenge you this morning to go all in, to give this place, this community of faith, this body of believers your all. Do everything that pastors Jen and Sean challenge you to do every single week from this platform. Get connected. Go to Growth Track. Join the Dream Team. Get connected to a small group. Show up every single day for 21 days of prayer and fasting. Go all in for one year and see if God will not radically transform your life and show up in miraculous ways. And if this is your first Sunday here with us, and you're like, I just got here, lady. Slow your roll. You know what? That's okay. We have an environment just for you. We want to meet you, get to know you. I'll tell you what, it's not an accident that you're here. You're here for a reason, and we're so excited that you're here. But I want to bring to you a message this morning called Relationship Potential. Relationship 
potential for those of you who like to take notes and you want to write that down. But before we jump into the word, I want to pray for us and invite the Holy Spirit to come meet with us this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for the power of your spirit. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the power of your word that it transforms us, God, that your word does not return void. Spirit, so I just pray that you would have your way in us, God. Open our hearts, open our minds to receive from you everything that you have for us. And it is in the power of the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, how many of you know that every single relationship that you have has a certain God-given potential? Your relationship with your best friend has a certain potential. It's got a lot of potential. That's why you gave them the name best, right? Your relationship with your kids has a certain potential. If you're anything like me and my husband, maybe there's a little bit of a gap between where you are in your relationship with your kid right now and where you kind of want it to be. I'm thinking of my four-year-old son. It's probably our fault that we named him Bear, but in this season of his life, he gets a little bit angry when he's being disciplined. And so he'll say things to me like, no lie verbatim, he'll say things like, mom, I don't like it when you tell me what I don't want to hear. And I'm like, dude, you are cute, but you need to get saved. (laughs) And uh, we're working on him, it's baby steps. But your relationship with your spouse has potential. Hopefully you're working on that relationship. You're evaluating its strengths and its weaknesses and you're giving it the time, the energy, and investment that it requires to move that relationship forward. And no relationship is perfect because we're people and we're not perfect. But what I am talking about is relationships that are healthy and are growing and are thriving. Now, often in our lives, our relationships get strained or they get neglected or there's conflict. And all too often, we end up settling for less than the potential of the relationships that are most important to us actually have. Think of every relationship that you have as being somewhere on a spectrum or a continuum. And the amount of energy and investment and intentionality you pour into a relationship, the closer you can push it towards its ideal. But relationships don't just get better all by themselves, do they? All the married people said amen, right? It takes intentionality, it takes effort, it takes energy. There's a requirement of you. It's gonna require that you date your spouse by actually planning that date night. It's gonna require you to extend forgiveness when there's been a fracture in the relationship or there's been offense. It's gonna require you maybe to love somebody not in the way that you want to love them, but in the way that they need to be loved. It's gonna require you to have that difficult confrontational conversation that you've been avoiding. There's a requirement of you. And I wanna suggest to us this morning that our relationship with Jesus has a potential. Our relationship with Jesus has a potential. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, the body of believers there. Really, it's a letter to you and I today. He says, I pray that you would be filled to the very measure of the fullness of God. He's praying that you and I as believers would be filled to the very measure of the fullness of God that we would be believers entirely filled with the Holy Spirit, formed into the image of Jesus, who is the exact likeness of God himself. Talk about relationship potential. Now, not a single one of us are there in our relationship with Jesus, are we? But all of us are somewhere on that relationship spectrum with Jesus, whether we have no relationship with him at all, or the relationship is healthy and it's growing and it's thriving. And maybe some of you here today feel like that relationship is always in flux, 
like it's hot and it's cold. You're so excited to be here on Sunday to have found this life-giving church. You're here receiving the word, engaged in worship, but by Friday, you're living the same life you lived before you ever even stepped foot in these doors. For others of you, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for some time, but you feel like the relationship is stagnant or it's stuck. Like you know there has got to be more to this relationship than what you're currently experiencing based on what you've read has been made available to you in the scriptures. And I would propose that every single one of us, whether we know it or not, are stuck somewhere because I firmly believe that Jesus wants something more for you. He wants to do something more in you and he wants to do something more through you. But there's a requirement of you. There's a requirement of you. Now, many of us in this room, not all of us, but many of us have received Jesus as our savior. We've received the gospel message that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the son of God, that he came to earth through a miraculous birth through a virgin named Mary. He lived a perfect, sinless life, a life that you and I could never live, performed many miracles while he was here and then died a criminal's death on the cross, not because he was guilty, but because he was innocent so that you and I could receive forgiveness of sins, rose again three days later, forever defeating death, hell, and the grave, releasing to us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we too could overcome the work of the enemy in our lives. This is our savior. That while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, desperate, destitute, and without hope, on no merit of our own, Jesus, the son of God, came and rescued us. And we receive that fact by faith and faith alone. But that fact, that truth, merits a response. There's a requirement. And that requirement is that we would submit to his lordship. That Jesus would be Lord over every single area of our lives. On the days that we feel like it and on the days that we don't feel like it. In the situations and circumstances that we feel like it and in those that we don't that our response to King Jesus would be yes and amen. And this is where the rubber meets the road in our relationship potential with him. And if we want to grow in this relationship, and I believe that every single one of us does, we have got to be willing to ask ourselves the question honestly. What areas of my life am I potentially withholding from his authority? What area of your life are you responding to Jesus like my four-year-old son? I don't like it when you tell me what I don't want to hear, Jesus. I'm going to keep that relationship, Jesus, even though that I know that it violates ours. I'm going to keep that unforgiveness and that bitterness in my back pocket because that anger towards that person that offended me, it feels like revenge and that satisfies me. I'm gonna keep this bad habit because at the core, I don't believe, Jesus, that what you have to offer me is better than what this thing offers me. I'm gonna stay silent when I know I should tell the truth because honestly, Jesus, I don't wanna pay the price. Now, we don't often think about the unsubmitted areas of our lives that way, but we need to because they're costing us. Submission to Jesus is costly. Make no mistake about it, it's gonna cost you everything. But you know what else is costly is resistance, resisting Jesus. And so we have a choice to make. We have to pre-decide what price we want to pay because one road leads to life and the other road leads to death. And I want us to look at a passage of scripture this morning from the book of Mark where we see 
this one woman's response to Jesus' lordship in this beautiful sacrifice that she makes. And there's two things that we see this woman do in one way that Jesus responds to her that I think if we examine and look at wholeheartedly, it's gonna help us grow in our relationship potential with Jesus this morning. And so I wanna read to you from the book of Mark chapter 14, verses three through nine. If you don't have the scriptures, it's gonna be up on the screens for you. It says, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, this is Jesus the writer's talking about, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Now, other accounts of this same story reveal that this woman's name is Mary. She's the sister of Martha and Lazarus. It says, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I love this story because this story challenges me, both in this woman's act of worship and in the way that Jesus responds to her. I mean, this woman gets it. She gets it. Jesus is her Lord. And the very first thing that we see this woman do before she ever even enters the room with that very expensive gift is she recognized Jesus. She recognized Jesus. And I don't mean she knew which man he was of those that were present that day. I mean, she saw him for who he was. Do you see Jesus? He is not some ethereal religious idea or some cultural construct. He's not your homeboy or the bobblehead on your dashboard. He's not your co-pilot. He's not second place. He is not an option among many. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the narrow gate. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is above all, in all, and through all. He has all authority, all power, and the final word. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the King of Kings, and he is the Lord of Lords. Do you see? see Jesus. Do you see him? I grew up in a Christian home. I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. My dad was the pastor of my childhood church for 30 years, and he just recently retired. And I remember as a little kid, I would sit on my bed, and I would pray, and I would close my eyes tight, and I would pray that when I opened them, I would see Jesus's face. And I never did. And I would bring my precious moments Bible with me to reading in first grade every single day. And my mom got a call from my teacher once because I had told my little buddy Adam McGuire that because he didn't go to church every Sunday, he'd be spending an eternity apart from God. Now, I doubt any one of you accepted a church invite that sounded like that. (laughs) And as I got older, it became more and more evident that I did not know who Jesus was. I had this religious picture of who he was, but it was one that caused a lot of condemnation and fear and shame, and I ran from Jesus. I didn't run to Jesus. As the pastor's kid, you know, I had the answers in the right Christian settings. 
I said the salvation prayer probably a dozen times, hoping one of them would stick. But I was not a person transformed by love. I was hiding. I was hurting. I was eaten alive by insecurities, and I was making poor choices. Until one day, the movie The Passion of the Christ came to the movie theater. Has anybody seen that movie? It's kind of an old movie now. Everybody's watching The Chosen these days. But uh, when that movie went to the theater, I left class one day and went to go see it by myself. And I sat in the first or second row, and as I watched and I saw that version of Jesus, I began to weep. And I couldn't stop. And I went out to my car, and I'll never forget, I remember looking closely at my hands and realizing for the very first time in my life that I was made on purpose for a purpose, that I was created by love, for love, in love, and through love. And Jesus met me in that car that day and became more real to me than anything I had ever experienced. It was like this world that was black and white was being made alive with color because something in my spirit saw something in that film that caused me to recognize Jesus. Do you see him? Mary recognized Jesus. Everybody else in the room that day, standing around, criticized her for her sacrifice. Mary, really? You want to do that with that expensive gift? Shouldn't you sell that, divide that up, give the money to the poor? Couldn't you do more with what you had? And Jesus is like, guys, no. You're missing it because you're missing me. People you will always have with you. You can help them whenever you want, but me, you won't always have with you. In this way, Mary was the only one who knew who she had when she had him. She had to have been thinking to herself, what do you mean do something else with this? There is nobody else. And it is possible to be in the room with Jesus and to not recognize Jesus. It's possible to spin your wheels doing things for Jesus and entirely miss Jesus. And so often we spend our lives pouring out our oil, our time, our talents, our energy, our mental, emotional, spiritual bandwidth, and all the demands being made of us and all the needs that we have and the needs of others and the distractions of life that are too many to count these days that we entirely miss Jesus. I resisted Jesus when I was young, because I had this inaccurate picture of who he was, but then a revelation of his love changed everything. But the battle that you and I face as believers is to not allow that revelation to become common. Mary wasn't thinking to herself, oh, you know what, guys, now that you mention it, I actually could do something better with that. And sometimes we treat Jesus like an option. Like I could do what Jesus wants me to do, or I could do what I want to do. I could forgive that person. I should. Eventually, I will. But first, I'm going to drag their name through the mud just a little bit. I love coming to this church on Sunday like it's such a vibe. But Monday through Saturday, Jesus, I'm good. It's just not my personality, Jesus. All of us blow it. None of us are perfect in this area, and there is infinite grace for that. But what I am saying is that Jesus is not common He's king. He's king. And when we treat him as common, it's costly. You know, Mary learned to recognize Jesus for who he was by making it a practice to sit at his feet. She sat at his feet. You might remember this other story of Mary and her sister Martha. Jesus is in their home and they're hosting him and probably a ton of other people. And Martha's in the kitchen taking care of all the hospitality stuff. Maybe this is you on the holidays 
She's doing all the cooking, the cleaning, setting the table, making sure everything's happening according to schedule. And there's her sister Mary, where? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, just soaking in the presence. And Martha says, hey, Jesus, aren't you going to tell her to come make herself useful and do something to help me out? Maybe that was some of your prayer for some of your siblings over the holidays. And Jesus is like, no, no, I'm not. It's not that what you're doing is bad, Martha. It's just that what Mary has chosen is better and it will not be taken from her. The more closely we sit to Jesus, the more clearly we recognize Jesus. And for some of us, our New Year's resolution simply needs to be that we're going to commit to sit at the feet of Jesus every single day because we're desperate for a word from the Lord, but not we're sitting close enough to hear his heartbeat or to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit. We have to be near Jesus to see Jesus. Now, the scripture tells us that Mary was able to love him the way that she did because she had been forgiven much. She was able to love him because she had a great revelation of his love for her. And some of us just need to get in the presence of Jesus and remember, remind ourselves what it is that he's done for us. Tell ourselves our testimony. Jesus, thank you. I'm not where I wanna be, but Jesus, I'm not where I was. Thank you, Jesus for reaching down and rescuing me. Jesus, thank you that when everybody else had walked out on me, abandoned me, you have never left me nor forsaken me. Jesus, thank you for the cross, for rescuing me from myself and putting my feet on the path of life. Jesus, thank you. Because how we see Jesus determines how we respond to Jesus. First, we need to recognize Jesus, and second, we need to respond to Jesus. Mary's response to Jesus was sacrifice. It was sacrifice. She poured out a whole year's wages in one offering just to bless him. And you know what's interesting about Jesus' response is that while the whole room is freaking out about the size of that offering, he doesn't even acknowledge it as extravagant. He doesn't even say that it's a lot. He doesn't say, oh, you know what, Mary? Yeah, they're right. You should do something different with that or save a little bit for yourself. He doesn't say that at all. He calls the sacrifice beautiful, but he says simply this, she did what she could. She did what she could, meaning everything that we have, all that we are, everything we've been entrusted with, he's not only worthy of it, but he expects it. He expects it. The life that Jesus is calling us into is a life of sacrifice. It's a life of sacrifice. And if we miss this, we miss the whole thing. Jesus tells us to count the cost as we follow him. He says that to gain eternal life, we've got to lose this one, that we've got to carry our cross daily, die to ourselves daily. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that he's inviting, inviting us into is so counterintuitive. It's so opposite to the life we are hardwired to lead in our sin nature that if we want to follow Jesus, and I think every single one of us does, then it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us relationships that are not God-honoring. It's going to cost us our pride in exchange for humility. 
It's gonna cost us our unforgiveness in exchange for forgiveness. It's gonna cost us our hatred in exchange for love. It's gonna require us to be transparent and authentic and vulnerable before God in our pain and in our disappointment when we would rather run away and hide. It's gonna require us to stay and to stay and to stay when we would rather throw in the towel and walk away. It's gonna cost us our way of doing things in exchange for the way that King Jesus does things. It's going to cost us. Years ago, the Holy Spirit convicted me about this bad habit that I had. It's a habit that I'd had for some time. And he'd been convicting me about it for a while, and I continually ignored him until he spoke to me so clearly one day, I couldn't deny that I had heard him. And I knew in that moment that I had a choice to make, because that was not a habit that I wanted to put down. It was a stronghold. It was an addiction in my life. But if I knew that if I did not obey the voice of the Lord in that moment, and I kept that bad habit, I ran the risk of becoming tone deaf to his voice because I would have had to have hardened my heart against that instruction. And keeping that habit was not worth what I knew that it was going to cost the relationship. So with the help of the Holy Spirit that day, I agreed with the Holy Spirit and I put that thing down and I never picked it back up again. And when the Holy Spirit told me I didn't belong in a certain environment anymore because I was a daughter of the King, I didn't go back to that environment. And every time that I have surrendered a piece of my life, sacrificed a piece of my life or something that I have wanted in obedience to Jesus, not only have those chains fallen off of my life, but the chains attached to those chains. And this is where we miss it sometimes. We think that Jesus is asking us to sacrifice something that's actually going to benefit us when really our freedom is found in this sacrifice. And we have this idea of Jesus that he's withholding something good from us and something that we want and that couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus has real life, abundant life. He is the author of life. He has real life in his hands and he desperately wants to pour it out on you, but he can't pour it to vessels that are filled up with something else. And this is the lie that the enemy has been telling us since the beginning of time that God is holding out on you and I. Do you remember what he said to Eve in the garden? Did God really say, Eve, don't eat from that tree? Will you surely die because... God knows if you eat from that tree, you will become like him. He's holding out on you. And how often do we tell ourselves that? Does God really see me? Does God really care? Is God withholding something from me? Does, if he really understood how miserable I was in this marriage, would he really expect me to stay faithful? Does God really expect me to not take matters into my own hands? Because that's not working out for me very well. Does God really expect me to be generous? Because honestly, I'm still waiting on him to provide. But my Bible says in Romans 8, 32, and your Bible says that he who did not spare his own son, but willingly gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God has not, nor will God ever withhold any good thing from you. Jesus went all the way to the cross to prove it. He loved you first. And whatever doesn't get surrendered to Jesus sets itself up against Jesus. Whatever we are unwilling to sacrifice becomes a stronghold in our lives that holds us back and keeps us bound. Judas was one of the disciples in the room with Mary that day, criticizing her offering, saying that she should sell that perfume and give the money to the poor. But the scripture tells us that Judas's motive was not good that he didn't actually care about the poor. He used to manage the money bag that funded the ministry. 
And he used to take a little bit off the top for himself. He wanted that gift. Come to find out he also is the one to exchange Jesus to Roman soldiers for 30 pieces of silver because money was an idol in Judas's life. Because an idol is anything that we are willing to exchange God for. So we have to be careful when we judge someone else's sacrifice or are unwilling to make one that it's not actually revealing an idol in our own life. Jesus said the road that leads to death and destruction is wide and many choose it. We were never intended to take that road. And the road that leads to life is narrow and few find it. Not because the path is hidden, but because there's only one way. And Jesus is the way. The truth by definition is exclusive. There is one way. It is Jesus. And it is Jesus or it is the highway. He is not only worthy because of who he is and because of what he has done for us, but because he loves us. He rewards our sacrifice. He rewards our sacrifice. He's not only calling you into a life of great sacrifice, but a life of great reward. When Mary poured her oil out on Jesus, he responds to her with a promise. He says that everywhere that the gospel is preached, that this story would be told in her honor, in memory of her. 2,000 years later, I'm fulfilling that prophecy. Every time you open your scripture, that prophecy is being fulfilled. But the most beautiful part about that promise is that Mary was known in her community as a sinner. She was known as a sinful woman. And in one moment, Jesus promises her is that her reputation from that point forward, she would not be known by her sin, but she would be known by the depth of her love. Mary recognized Jesus. She responded to Jesus in sacrifice and she was rewarded by Jesus. This is not religion. This is a love relationship. There is an eternal promise attached to every single sacrifice that you make an eternal promise. Jesus goes so far as to say that if you simply give a cold cup of water to somebody in his name, you will not lose your reward. Jesus's promises are eternal, but we often attach eternal promises to temporary timelines. And then we get frustrated when Jesus doesn't show up the way that we want him to show up according to our schedule when we want him to show up, how we want him to show up. And honestly, that's just part of being human. But those false expectations are going to frustrate the relationship and tempt us to quit. And we'll say things to ourselves like, oh, I showed up for those 21 days of prayer. Every single day I was there and nothing changed. I believed for that for a while, but then nothing happened. I put a quarter into the machine and I expected a Coke to come out. Now, I'm not making light of our disappointment, our frustration, our sacrifice, our pain. But Jesus tells us that in this world, we will have trouble. Not we might have trouble, we will have trouble, but to take heart because he has overcome the world. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in an outcome. Our hope is in a person, a resurrected king named Jesus who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, whose promises are eternal. This is why he tells us time and time again, don't give up, withstand, withstand, withstand to the end. We haven't seen the end. We've hardly seen the beginning. And I'll tell you how this does end. It ends in our good and his glory. This next life that we're entering, this eternal life that we're entering, it's not disconnected from this earthly experience. 
It's a continuation of it. It's a continuation of the relationship that we either do or do not have with Jesus. And when we stand before him face to face to give account for our lives, because every single one of us will, we will not for one moment regret our sacrifice. When Mary sat on the other side of eternity at the feet of Jesus, but this time he as his glorified self, she didn't think to herself, you know what? I could have invested that resource differently. I could have bought the Tesla. Like that's not what she was thinking. If we have one regret in that moment, if we have a regret, it'll be that we didn't do more, that we didn't love him more, that we didn't serve him more, that we didn't say yes more. Jesus tells us over and over that whatever we give up in this life for his sake, he will reward us many times over, not just in this life, but in the one to come. His promises are forever. There's a story in the book of 1 Kings of a prophet named Elijah. And he approaches this woman, she's a widow, she's destitute, she has a son, they have nothing. And he says to her, I want you to make me a meal. And she says, I can't make you a meal. I've got this little bit of flour and this little bit of oil left. It's enough for one meal. In fact, I'm gonna cook this for me and my son. We're gonna eat it and then we're gonna die. And Elijah says, don't be afraid. Do what you plan to do. Go cook that meal, but bring it to me and then go home and make food for you and your son. Now, what he said didn't make sense because there wasn't enough for all of them, but she obeyed the word of the Lord that she received through the prophet Elijah. And as she cooked that meal, there was enough for another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. And that jar of flour never ran out. That jug of oil never ran dry. And she and her son were met by a miracle and they were saved. And I think so many of us have heard the word of the Lord but we're clinging to this last little bit of flour and this little bit of oil that he's just asking us to pour out. We're clinging to it as if it were our last meal that we have failed to recognize. If we were to pour it out, we would be met with a promise. We would be met with a miracle, one that doesn't run out, one that doesn't run dry, one that leads to life and lasts forever. Whatever you have in your jar, Whatever he's asking of you, he is worthy of it. Whatever you have been withholding from him or pouring out on something lesser, I believe in this moment, if you were to be willing to pour it out at his feet, you would discover that you would be met with a promise, with an abundant promise. Maybe it's pride you've been hanging on to. Maybe it's your insecurity. Maybe all of 2021, you have been filled with anger. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe you've made an idol out of your comfort and you've been resisting the very call of God on your life. I believe in this moment, if you were to pour that out on Jesus, you would find that this would be the best year of your life, not because of ease or circumstance, but because it would be a year marked by his promise, marked by his presence marked by his power. With everything that we have and all that we are, we need to recognize Jesus for who he is. We need to respond to Jesus accordingly and we need to trust that we'll be rewarded by Jesus. Do you receive that today? Do you receive that today? I'm gonna pray for us as we close out this morning if everyone would bow their head and close their eyes.
Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your power, God. I thank you that you're speaking in this room, God. I pray that you would speak to every single one of us, Jesus, that you would reveal to us what it is that we have been withholding from you, that we would be willing to offer it to you, God, as a beautiful sacrifice that you would receive. God, and that you would release to us in return, God, your freedom, your life, your abundant life. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to be obedient and to do what it is that you're asking us to do, not just in this moment, but as we walk out of this room this morning. And if there's anyone in this room who has never received Jesus as their savior, you've heard a lot about what it is to follow Jesus today. I wanna invite you to receive him into your life. And I'm gonna ask you to say a simple prayer, not because it's this prayer that saves you. The Bible tells us that it's faith alone and Jesus alone that saves us. But if we're to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So this prayer is a simple confection of that faith. I wanna invite you to say that prayer with me right now. And if that's you in this room praying that prayer for the first time, would you just lift your hand so that I know who I'm praying with? Yes, Jesus. Let's pray this prayer out loud together for those praying for the first time. Say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Change me. Forgive me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give it up for Jesus this morning? Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the good news of Jesus, you can give by visiting lifepointlou.org forward slash give or text LCLOU to 77977. Thanks so much. We hope you have an incredible week.